Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. We studied the first four verses of the fifth chapter, and I don't want to uh, really repeat all of that, but I would, there's so many that were not here, I would like to just briefly bring you up to, to uh, the fifth verse, because I feel there's some important things there for those of you that were not present last Sunday evening, and I think about half of, of the congregation was not present in the last service. And uh, I just dealt with those first four verses. So, you know, if I took the whole hour to do it, the whole 45 minutes, that if I spend five minutes now, that uh, it won't hurt to overlap it so that those that were not here can get that. And then we'll pick up with verse 5, if you'll permit me. Let's begin back with verse 1 again. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort. Uh, Peter was speaking of the bishops or the preachers, the pastors, overseers. He says, I exhort who... Am also an elder. He classified himself as one of them. And he says, And I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He not only had witnessed the sufferings, but he knew he would partake of the glory. And in a sense, he had already seen some of that glory that we referred to. And he charges these elders in verse 2. He says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. This is the pastor of the church or the bishop, overseer, elder. To feed the flock of God, uh, taking the oversight thereof, to oversee, to rule, to guide, to lead. And he says, not by constraint, and that word means, and you know this would be very valuable for preachers to learn this, not by constraint, not to push or to drive. See, that's what it really means. To overdrive the flock, to try to push them into things. But he says, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre, that is, for financial gain, but of a ready mind. I want to give you some verses here, and we'll just read them. Uh, some things about preachers and pastors and bishops and overseers. First of all, he says, feed the flock of God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. They are to be fed upon the Word of God. And you won't have to turn to all these, though you may, and you may want to jot them down. But also, I want you to look at 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, verses 12 through 16 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, uh, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, that is, to teaching. He says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given thee by prophecy, with the laying on the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Now listen. That thy prophecy may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Or that is the teaching. Teaching nothing uh, for the truth but the truth. Teaching the Word of God. Have you ever heard people say, Our church doesn't teach doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. They don't teach doctrine. They don't teach anything. They're not teaching, period. <laughs> because te doctrine is teaching. And it says, Take heed thyself and unto the teaching. Put it that way, doctrine. Continue in them, and for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. If you still have First Timothy, look in chapter 5, verse 17. It has a word for the elders. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor... Look at that, in word and doctrine. You have 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Those that labor in word and doctrine, that is, in studying the word and in teaching the word. 
And then we give you some more references. Let me see if I can find some more here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, what's it for? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up. The word edifying is used so much in the New Testament epistle. To edify and to build up. That's the purpose of the preaching of the word. It's not only to, to reveal to the sinner his need of salvation, but there's a great emphasis in the epistles to edify the people of God. And if the people of God are edified, then they go out and witness to the sinner and tell him he needs to be saved because they're built up and they need to take what they have and share it with someone else. And if you're not edified, you're not going to do anything for the lost. And then, if you are, you're obligated to, because the edification brings about your responsibilities, doesn't it, to the, the unsaved. It says, till uh, we all come in the unity of the faith, for edifying the body of Christ. You have this, Ephesians 4, verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, under a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. See, do not feed the sheep or rule or guide or uh, feed them upon every wind of doctrine, every kind of teaching that's floating around. Learn what is good doctrine and sound doctrine and feed them upon that. Don't try to mix everything that you hear into the, the ministry. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. They're not to be fed upon every wind of doctrine. Have you ever seen, fellas, that the first thing you know, one preacher over here gets a new revelation or a new idea about what's to go on, and he said, they just fall in the bandwagon and say, now we ought to preach that a while. And another one gets something else and they start preaching that a while. And it's every wind of doctrine that passes by. See? Instead of, okay, look in Titus. Chapter 1, verse 9. Instead of what we're about to show you. Titus 1, verse 9. See what it says here. Holding fast the faithful word, now look, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So the elder or pastor is to feed them on sound doctrine, not upon what? Every wind of doctrine. There's a great deal of difference. You know, I think uh, preachers today are chasing too many wind of doctrines that go around. Let's learn what the Bible says and stick with that. You know, get something that works and stick with it. Get something that's true and stick with it. Get God's Word and stick with it. And don't just be carried about with every wind of doctrine. All right, let me give you something else. In First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, it says in verse 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. See? You have it? First Thessalonians 5, verse 12. They are over you in the Lord. That doesn't mean they're dictators, but they're over you to rule or to feed or to guide. Now look, and, and pastors and preachers are to be over you in the Lord. We can't tell you what to do except by example and by the word of God. But that, we're not to be, uh, to rule by constraint or to feed by constraint. That is to push and to shove and to try to make you do anything. But it says they're over you in the Lord and admonish you 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Give you another one. Look in the book of Hebrews, if you will, chapter Hebrews, chapter thirteen, <clears throat> verse seventeen. Hebrews thirteen, verse seventeen. We're talking about the duties and responsibilities of pastors to feed the flock. It says in verse seventeen, "Obey them that have the rule over you." The word rule in your marginal reference says guide that have the rule, that are responsible to feed, to guide. And it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Now, we don't mean obey them in a kind of what we have heard of in the past as a Jim Jones situation. We only mean obey or follow the guide of those pastors that will guide you in the Word of God. Simply that far. That's as far as you're to go. To be guided by the Word of God. And as they rightly divide the Word of Truth, you follow that guide and that leadership. But if there's someone that's trying to draw away disciples after themselves, trying to exalt themselves and make themselves appear to the be the one and only leader. We read this morning where Elijah said, I'm the only one left. He got that idea that he's the only prophet left. And God said to him, I have 7,000 men, Elijah, that are not bad need of Baal. Right? See? So there's still those that stand true to the Word. So don't ever think that there's only one prophet, or let's put it this way, one preacher in the whole world. You know, we had a little siege of that in the last uh, few years, haven't we? Where they... The television evangelist, one would just be worse. There was no one like him. Or the other one or the next one. You know. No one like that would pick out, just take your choice, you know. And, you know, one fellow would say, this one's the only one. Another would say, that one's the only one. They still do that. And there's still a few out there. They haven't all been eliminated yet. But when we, when we see that they all have feet of clay, we're all men. And don't follow the preacher, follow the preaching. Don't follow the preacher, follow the Word, the Word of God. And this is what the Word says. It says to obey them or to uh, that have the rule or guide that guides you in the things of God. And uh, it says they watch for your souls. And the true pastor or uh, elder or bishop or overseer, you can use any of those terms. Pastors would be just as good a synonym for any of them. And if you follow them in their teaching of the Word, and guidance of the Word, it says they watch for your souls. In other words, they're concerned about your individual spiritual well-being. And you and I ought to be concerned about the other person's uh, spiritual welfare. It's how you do spiritually that brings a blessing. All right, let's get back to this. Okay, we'll have to let that almost suffice enough. I'll give you one more. (laughs) Acts 20, verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Because I don't want to slight those of you that did not receive this last week. But in verse 28 it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. See, the church of God is called a flock. And the church of God is a local flock and congregation that's to be fed by the elders. You have that, Acts 20 verse 28? Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. To show you who was addressed, if you still have it, glance back at verse 17, and you will see that it's the Ephesian elders that were called together and Paul was giving them this word. 
he was charging these Ephesian elders. It says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The pastors probably was a pretty large church. They had more than one. Just like our church, as small as it is. We have pastor and associate, and so we're pastors. And that's our business and our job, to feed the church of God to, and to feed this local flock. And it is called the church of God. It's not as if the church of God is scattered all over the world. It's a local congregation. This was the church of Ephesus that was to be fed by these Ephesian elders. All right, back First Peter 5. Now, our time is gone for that. Uh, verse um, 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage. We're not to be uh, dictators or to lord it over God's people, but being in samples to the flock or examples. In verse 4, And when the chief shepherd, Christ is the chief shepherd, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The reward will come someday in due time when the Lord comes. Now here's verse 5. This is where we're supposed to pick up. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. The elder here is the elder in age. The younger are to submit unto the elder. You see that? We're to have due respect and consideration and uh, understanding of those that are older than we are as Christians. And uh, it says the younger to submit yourself to the elder. Yea, now look, yea, all of you, now even the elder included here, all of us, on an equal basis, older and younger together. And the elder here was referring to age, not the office of an elder. It says, yea, all of you be subject one to another. We're to be submissive to one another as well. Right? And then it says, And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. That means truly consider other people. Truly consider every Christian, every child of God in the flock. There's no big eyes and little U's in the things of God. He says, Submit to one another. And even though the office or place of the preacher, pastors, are it's an office that's elevated and due respect. It doesn't mean that they're any higher except in leadership and except in preaching and teaching, except in guidance. But when we come before the throne of grace and we come as believing priests, we're all on the same ground. See, I can't pray any better for you than you can pray for yourself or than you can pray for me. It's all the same. In fact, uh, you'll see some of the saints of God that do maybe don't teach or don't do uh, other things publicly in the church or the greatest uh, prayer warriors and uh, hold uh, the preacher up in prayer more than those that are more visible in their efforts. That happens so much of the time. I know of little quiet ladies that sit in the pews and, and they say, I've been praying for you, Brother Joyce. Well, that's, that's more to me than if they were up here doing a lot of the other things that the rest of us do publicly and openly, because it means a great deal. And we're to pray for one another. And they have just as much force and power, probably more in prayer, than, than, than those that are uh, noticed publicly, and that have a place of, of, as a pastor or as a teacher, possibly. So we find that everyone is essential. And all of God's children need... You know, I love for God's people to be united. When there starts to be strife, I don't want any of it. When there starts to be envy, when there starts to be uh, contention, God's not the author of it. We have to get rid of it. We have to figure out 
And, and you know the best way to get rid of contention and strife and problems like that is to look at yourself. You don't look at where you say, well, it's coming from over there. No. Now think of that. If everyone looked at themselves, there would be no one out there to point to, right? <laughs> that would eliminate it automatically. You say, well, so-and-so is the cause of strife. And if I can encourage that so-and-so and everyone there, including myself, to look at myself and get myself right, then it'll just disappear automatically. We'll all have a forgiving spirit and it'll take care of itself. You see, where everyone takes care of that, own, their, that problem, there will be none. All right, look at this. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Remember, God is the all-powerful, that he may exalt you in due time. See, it's God that lifts up. We're not to exalt ourselves. But we're to let God lift us up when it's necessary. And uh, that lifting up is the uh, is left to the Lord. And he will lift you up as the, as the uh, need arises. If he needs to lift you up to deliver you from enemies, or if he needs to lift you up that you may, your voice may be heard or whatever way, he'll take care of that. Let's, look, let's realize that our responsibility is, is to humble ourselves. And it's God's responsibility to give us the elevation that he wants us to have. The Bible says promotion cometh not from the, from the east, nor from the west, nor from the north, from the south. But promotion cometh from the Lord. It's God that promotes us and gives us the talents, the ability. The, uh, it, it, he has to be behind anything we do to make it worthwhile. Now look at this. It says, casting all your care upon him. How many people have read that? Casting some of your care Testing a little bit of your care. Testing one of your cares or your problems. See? He doesn't say that. He says, casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. Can we learn to do that? Well, it's hard for, for us to do that, isn't it? We wanna, you know, we'll cast part of them upon the Lord and we'll say, well, I'll take care of the rest of them. And just as sure as you try to bear the rest of the burdens, you're going to be burdened with the rest of them. But if you'll cast them all upon the Lord, the Bible says, and this is the first scripture Dale ever learned. He says, in Isaiah, I mean uh, Psalm 55, verse 22, says, "Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved." Now, of course, we know we're only righteous through Christ. But if you cast your burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee, and let's learn to do that. He doesn't mean to to start to do it or. Or to try to do it, or he needs to actually just cast it upon the Lord. And God knows best. He can take care of it. Then he says, be sober. That means to be calm. Of course, we're to be sober and not drink, too. But that's not what he's talking about. It means to be calm in our souls. See? Be sober. Can you, in the midst of all adversity, can you be calm inside? We need to learn that, beloved. To be calm in your soul. And it says be vigilant. That is watchful. That means to be wide awake and watchful. Be, be calm in your heart and be mindful of, of Satan because he's going to be the subject here now. Listen. Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Be mindful, be watchful of the fact that there is an adversary. Be uh, watchful and mindful of the fact that he is the devil. And that he's against you. And then he seeks someone to devour. He wants to just chew you up. He wants to get rid of you. He wants to do you in. And the devil is like that. 
and be mindful of his devices, his traps, his wiles, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Some people feel like that uh, the devil's not real. He's just as real a personality as God is a real personality. God is real and so is Satan. One is good and one is bad. And God is God wants us to overcome the devil. We've given Peter's given us instructions here as to what to look for and how to handle it. Someone says, I can't handle it. We've got these great enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil gives us he's a liar, he's a thief, he steals away the word, he's a liar from the beginning, he's a murderer, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, Jesus said. That's what he's after. And he tries to steal the word of God from you. He tries to kill the spirit and soul. He tries to destroy the soul. And he's after you. And he's real. But we're told how to handle it. He said, be sober. Realize casting all your care upon him. Realize God has a hand in it. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now look at this. It says, uh, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. And it says, your, de- your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about. He's everywhere, seeking, he's looking, whom he may devour. Now, how are you to handle it? Whom resist steadfast in the faith. How are you going to handle it? You resist him. Someone says, I'm going to resist the devil. The Bible says, resist the devil and he shall flee from you. But how do you resist him? Resist steadfast in the faith. You know what the faith is here? It's not your personal faith in the Lord as your Savior. We're to have that and be saved. That's true. But it's the faith, the, the whole uh, declaration and counsel of God's Word, the fundamentals of the faith, the very fact that God's Word says that Christ is the Son of the living God, that it declares Christ to be sinless, that He's the one that died for our sins. He's made atonement for us. The devil says, how do you know your sins are gone? Say, Jesus covered them on the cross. He paid for them. He's my substitute. See, that's how you resist steadfast in the faith. The devil says, your sins, you're still going to have to pay for them. Say, no, I'm not. Jesus paid it all. See? Resist steadfast in the faith. Any argument he has can, can be answered by the fundamentals of the faith and what Jesus Christ has done for us. The devil comes along and he accuses you. Say, well, uh, you've done this and that. Well, the Bible says, just answer him, I'm accepted in the Beloved. Say, the Bible says I'm chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that I have redemption in Christ, even the forgiveness of sin. What sin are you going to accuse me of? Just say, old devil, get out of here. You can't bother me. Who's he condemned? Christ is the one that died. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And he calls the role in Romans 8. Tribulation, distress, things present, things to come. Life nor death, death, uh, death nor life nor death nor anything. Principalities nor powers. He says, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So just put him in his proper place, and he'll leave you alone. When the guy comes along, how do you know it? Say, I know because God's word says so, and I believe it. I know because God made me a promise, and God is true. God will never fail in one of his promises. I know because I've done what God told me to do, and he told me if I do certain things, that he would do certain things. See? Whom resist steadfast in the faith. So when the devil's accusations come up to you, you know, just answer him with the word of God. And answer him with the, with the fundamentals of the faith. It says, whom res-, verse 9, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. 
you're not the only one that's being bothered. The rest of your brethren have the same problem. Sometimes, you know, folks think they're the only one that has any problem with the devil. We all do. He says that your brethren, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. All worldwide over, everywhere there's a child of God, the devil wants to give him a, 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 a lot of trouble. And so don't think you're alone in the battle. Don't think you're the only one that has any troubles or trials. Don't think you're the only one that Satan is not trying to deceive at the, and to assault. Because you're not. Because all Christians go through this. And all of us are, are prompted and exhorted to ha- handle it in the same way. Look at this. It says, but the God of all grace, look at this, the God of all grace, and he's the God of all grace, by the way, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That whole verse needs to be dealt with. First of all, all grace comes from God. You're saved by grace. You stand in grace. It says, uh, Romans 5, let me see if I can find it quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It tells us, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. See? We stand. Our standing is in grace. We don't deserve the place we stand. It's unmerited favor that's bestowed upon us in our very standing. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that now of yourselves is the gift of God. Let me see if I can give this to you. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that now of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we're saved by grace, we stand by grace, and His grace is uh, constantly uh, upon us. We live in the realm of grace. The Bible says we look for the grace that is to be brought at the appearing of Christ. Peter tells us that in the first chapter. The grace that is to be brought unto us. In other words, we have it in salvation, we have it in life, and we have it when Christ comes again. Extended. Right back in First Peter 5. He's the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory. If he's called you to salvation, that salvation also included the fact that he has called you to glory by Christ Jesus. You know, you can't read the scripture and put any ifs and ands and buts or maybes into it. If you do, you earn it. You know. How would, how would the person that does not believe in security read this verse of Scripture? He's called us unto His eternal glory if we have enough works, or if we hold out faithful to the end, or if we don't sin at the very last moment. See, they'd have to put an if in there somewhere, wouldn't it? And that sure would spoil it. Because... The, the Word of God is written to give the child of God perfect assurance. There's enough to tell us what we are not to do. There's plenty that tells us how we ought to live. There's plenty that tells us we're to, to be an example of the believer in word and faith and charity. There's plenty that tells us that we are created unto good works. That's the tenth verse of that we just read in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Where, uh, in God, where God has foreordained or ordained that we should walk in these. See, he determined that we should walk in good works. 
And there's plenty of scriptures that tell us many things we ought to do, but these scriptures are given, and the Word is written so as to give us divine assurance. And you see, some folks say, well, will you teach the Bible this way or that way or certain way? I'll teach it as to what it says here. You look at it here and see if you can find any ifs and ands and buts or maybes. Peter didn't say that, did he? So when the fellow puts them in, he's putting them in of himself. And if you teach the whole of God's Word, it's going to come out uh, basically with assurance for the child of God. And it's going to come out condemning us wherein we fail to serve and telling us what we ought to do and how we ought to, to exercise ourselves rather than to godliness. But there's various portions of Scripture are going to give us assurance. And we don't want to read maybes in there where God hasn't put any maybes. And that's what a lot of folks do. By their false doctrine, they say, well now, yes, God has promised you eternal glory if. Well, he didn't say if. Who said the if? You put the if there. He didn't put it there. Right? You read it. Look at it. It says that the God of all grace hath called us. He called us to salvation, didn't he? Hath called us, and in that salvation, unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He's called us unto his eternal glory. Look at Romans 8 quickly. Romans 8, verse uh, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, is called, according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. That means to determine the destiny beforehand. He foreknew, he did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. There was a time he called us by his grace, wasn't it? And he saved us with a holy... Called us and saved us. Called us with an holy calling. Saved us. We read that this morning. In uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, I believe you'll find. Now look at this. It says, Those that he called, whom he predestinated, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. After we answered that call to salvation... He says that they're justified. And then he says, And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He has called us, Peter says, unto his eternal glory. Paul says, Them he also glorified. You say, Well, I haven't yet reached that eternal glory. No, none of us have. And uh, them he also glorified, or have not yet been glorified. Taking Paul and Peter both together, showing you. But in God's mind, it's just as true as if it were already done. Because in God's mind, we were justified before we were called, and we were called, or we were predestinated before we were called, and so He knew we were going to be called, and He knew we were going to answer, and He knew that by answering that call we would have salvation, and knew because we'd be justified by faith, we were already justified, and He knew since we're justified by faith, we're already glorified. And even though we haven't yet reached that in the experimental stage, in God's mind, it's just as as signed and sealed and delivered as it will ever be. God has promised it. He has called us unto his eternal glory. I was, when I first started preaching, the preacher invited me to the Assembly of God Church. He said, now, Brother Joyce says, you can come over here and preach. And I studied my Bible a little. But he says, one thing I don't want you to preach is eternal that awful doctrine of eternal security of the believer. I thought, well, I wonder what I'm to preach. Any promise God gives you has security and assurance in it of salvation. Are you just saved for five minutes and then the first time you sin you're going to be lost? 
for the life that I could live my whole life and try to serve God until the very last moment and sin the last day and die without the Lord and go to hell. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I don't believe the Bible teaches any such thing as that. I believe the Bible teaches that the same God that saved me is keeping me and helping me to be more sanctified and helping me to overcome and He's promised me eternal glory and someday I'm going to get that. And when I get there, it will still be by His grace. It won't be because I deserve it. It won't be because I've been made holier or purer or more godly. I try to be. I hope I progress some between now and then. But it won't be because of that that I'll get there. It will be because of the fact that He saved me and called me unto eternal glory. That's a wonderful promise. Beloved, I believe in the security of the believer. That's one thing I believe in. I may be wrong in a lot of other things, but I believe in that the Bible teaches security of the believer. The Bible says, The foundation of the Lord stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. Now we have responsibility being his. He says, Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That becomes our responsibility, right? But he knows who are his. Some sheep are his. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. He says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When you can learn to trust your whole soul in the hands of the Lord and say, I know that when I get to heaven, the only way I'm going to say that I've been there is because I've been saved by His grace and kept by His power. You're kept by the power of God through faith and your salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look, he says, He has called us unto eternal glory by Christ Jesus. That's how we were saved. That's how He's the mediator. He's the redeemer. He shed His blood. He's the substitute. He's our sin bearer. And then he says, After that you have suffered a while. We're not yet in glory, are we? He says, After you've suffered a while. We'll suffer a while in this life. He says, I want Him to make you perfect. That is, more mature. Perfect doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. Make you perfect, that is, make you uh, mature, grown up as a Christian. And then the words continue to confirm that because he says, establish, strengthen, settle you. Look, perfect you, grow up as a Christian. Be fed upon the Word of God. Be established. Establish you. Be established in the faith. Strengthen you with His might, by His Spirit in the inner man. We had that... Look in Ephesians chapter 3, if you will. Verse 16. We gave you this this morning in Sunday school, those of you that were in the Sunday school lesson. That he would grant you. Still, it's granted, isn't it? You have Ephesians 3, verse 16. That he would grant you, still by grace, isn't it? A free gift. That he would grant you what? According to the riches of his glory... What is he going to grant? Paul, what do you want God to grant us? To be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. See that? That he will grant you this. So, back in First Peter now, chapter 5, verse uh, 10, it says, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, strengthen with all might by his Spirit in the inner man. Settle you. Settle you. I believe that's a very important word. Don't be so unsettled. Be settled. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We've already touched on it. By the slight of men, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Some maybe not intentionally. I don't believe that every preacher that, that leads you astray is intentionally doing so, though some are. Some of them do it because they fail to apply the word 
plainly as it is. And they get a little carried away and they say, well, we know. And they have all the marks of the beast figured out and Kissinger is going to be the Antichrist because he has S-I-N in the middle of his name and all kinds of foolish Tommy Rock stuff like that. And people get carried away with that. Say, yeah, you know. And look, he went over and he ministered to Israel and he was the go-between between the United States and Israel and all the Arab and the Palestine nations and when he was in his position of authority. And just everyone just swore up and down. Now here, here he is. We got the Antichrist right on the scene. Some of them said Kennedy because he had a hole, you know, in his head. More ways than one. All this kind of different stuff. You see, what happens? People get carried away with this stuff. Just because a preacher makes some crazy, silly remark. Jesus coming in 1988 and so many reasons because he was coming, you know. Listen, Jesus is. I hope we don't get steered away from the fact that the Lord is coming again. Because he, he decides to come now and the time would be fulfilled. He could come in the year 2010. He could come at any time from now on. And we don't know when that time has come. And God's Word says that the... In fact, we'll study it in, the, in Second Peter. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as long as He suffers long and is patient with this sinful world and has one more soul to be saved, He's not going to come until He decides to. And it's not written down just like you write it in the book. Now, here's a scheduled date. No man knows the day nor the hour. The Father only, Jesus said. No man knows. No man knows the time or the season. They say, well, they don't know the day or the hour, but we know the time or the season. But let me remind you that the Lord will come, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And then there will be a tribulation upon this earth. And then he will come back in power and great glory, Revelation 19, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will establish a kingdom of righteousness and peace upon this earth, the millennium in chapter 20 of Revelation. He's going to do that. And I'm not going to tell you when because I don't know when. And the fellow that gets up to tell you when, he don't know when either. You just well face that. He doesn't know when. He may think he knows. And they may figure it out, and they've been trying to figure it out for ages. But they do not know. God's Word says they don't know. And if you'll take the simple statements of truth from God's Word and then let all of these fellows fly off on the mysterious ends in every direction and just let them flutter till they get through fluttering, come back to the Word of God and say the promise of God is that Jesus is coming again. He says, I'm going away and I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And I know he promised to come again. He says, I'm preparing a place and one day it's going to happen. Look at this. He's going to establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Be settled on the Word of God, the doctrines of grace, the fundamentals of the faith. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Look, wherein you stand. See that? You have it again, don't you? The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son, this was John Mark, greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, or, or love. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. We'll pick up with the second epistle of Peter, second Peter in our lesson, in our next lesson.
Thank you for your kind attention. Let's stand together for a word of prayer, please.